0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism.
1: Life.
0: there it is radio free mormon uh how are you this fine exceptional wednesday at six twenty p.m
2: i am fantastic thank you so much for asking bill vriel hope you don't mind me just wearing a t-shirt it's a little bit hot up here in the pacific northwest i've,
0: I've broken the rules and not worn a button-down shirt or a, or a dress jacket you've certainly dressed up much more dapper than i have on more occasions so yeah. i'm perfectly okay with a t-shirt as hot as it is here in southern utah i might get nude before this show's over
2: Okay, so we have something to look forward to.
0: Well, it'll hurt the ratings. (laughs) Or help. (laughs) Or help. I don't know. We'll see. Um,
2: So, uh, anything on your mind before we jump in? Anything on my mind? Well, yeah, there's one story I want to tell you because today is July 7th, 2021. And every year, yes, thank you for that confirmation, Bill. And every year when this day rolls around, I think about this day back in 1977, And on this day, it's 44 years ago to this very day, I was at the Auburn School of Dance and Music. I was taking some summer classes. Believe me, I needed them. I'm 17 years old. I have all of one year of tap under my belt. So I definitely needed to get cracking and taking some summer classes. I was taking a jazz class. Anyway, my very much beloved teacher, Mr. Smith, comes into the studio and he says, well, guess what today is? Well, what? It's July 7th. 1977. And he says, I say, yeah, he says, well, seven, uh, seven, says this day will not occur for another hundred years. Mm-hmm. And as simple a little thing as that is and was, it stuck with me so that this date never goes by without me remembering it. Now we get a chance to share it with the audience and Mr. Smith bless him passed away a couple years ago. And so just want to say, I think of him a lot. I miss him and I love him hope you can hear this somewhere.
0: Look at that. You know, we all have people in our life who are deeply influential. I think that would be a fun podcast if you and I spent a show talking about the folks who have had impact on us during our lives outside of Mormonism. You know, I've had teachers that have had uh, incredible impact on me, Uh, folks that uh, invested in me and and put some effort into helping me be a better person. And it might be a fun show to do at some
2: point. That's a great idea. Well, that was my, my main story I wanted to start off with. By the way, update excommunication update is that uh, Taylor Drake you'll remember we had him on the show a couple weeks ago we talked about his book Taylor
0: Drake yeah oh, Joseph Smith
2: nice. um, yeah Joseph in the gap yeah and not the uh, store
0: in the mall he wasn't there buying jeans it was a different he, was, buy-
2: he was buying the little teenage jeans yeah. teenager jeans for some cuties that he had on yeah, the side but seriously the folks, the jeans Uh, Taylor's probably watching this. I'm sorry, Taylor. Anyway, I did want to report that I spoke with him after the proceedings. Yes, he did get excommunicated at the proceeding one week ago tonight. He was unable to convince his state president of the error of his state president's ways, and then he was shown the door. Ooh, no
0: bueno. No bueno. I I, I think, again, that the church is seeming to come down on everyone who wants to point people to the messiness. And then the church also, as we'll maybe get to tonight is in certain ways, trying to kind of reformulate the, the theology to be softer. Um, and that's happening in kind of in several ways. There was some other post on Facebook I can't remember what it was exactly off the top of my head, but it was pointing to how we are walking away from much of our theology. Uh, those pieces and points that kind of get people stuck a little bit. Um, So let's jump into this. So I wanted to start off. And by the way, somebody just asked about how uh, people can donate. I think if you're watching this on YouTube and maybe in the comments, you guys can confirm you're seeing this, but just to the right on your screen, I pointed to the left, but that's actually my left to the right of the screen. You'll see that in the super chat, there is a donate thing at the very top of the chat. There's also a donate box below the chat. You can donate there. Otherwise, um, you can go to mormonismlive.org and donate uh, there as well. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple different things tonight, and I'll put up on the screen here um, an image. Let's see. So, By the way,
2: that that comment, I I actually posted that comment about please remind me where I can donate. Your
0: your Anna Usueta?
2: No, not really. I'm kidding. I didn't put it up there. (laughs) But I should have. If I'd been thinking, I would have put that up there. Yeah, Thank you, Anna.
0: Yeah. Anna, yes, please, by all means, throw a few bucks in the cookie jar. Um, let's. Uh, you see there on the screen, RFM, how the Mormon church beat Bill Gates in a battle over farmland. This is up in your neck of the woods.
2: I know that guy. He lives just down the road from me. <laughs> Same neighborhood, right? Gated community? Yeah, he lives in the poorer section. He,
0: I can only imagine. So did you? Uh, is this anywhere close to you? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I
2: couldn't throw a rock and hit it, but it's pretty close. It's closer to me than it is to you.
0: How's that? Yeah, so yeah we can't give away where the bunker's located. Also, notice behind me, I'm back in the cargo storage unit again tonight. But uh, so what do you think's going on here? And there's another article too here I'll put up. Uh, residence Inn mm-hmm. by the Marriott Maui Wale. I think, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sells for $148 million to the Mormon Church affiliate. What do you make of of this beautiful one and true living church upon the earth that seems really concerned with accumulating property and uh, business assets.
2: Well, I'll tell you, I looked up the Salt Lake Tribune article on this, I think it was from June 24th. So I could get a few more details about it because I'd heard about it kind of uh, in the background, but hadn't really paid much attention. But apparently, apparently for the farmland, And this is over in eastern Washington, by the way, if that makes any difference to any of you out there, there's eastern Washington and there's western Washington and never the twain shall meet. But this is eastern Washington. And um, the church, through one of its subsidiary uh, companies, uh, offered 209 million dollars to a ranch Easter Day is the name of the ranch in eastern Washington to buy up. What was it? Twelve thousand productive acres and to add it to the church's vast land holdings, which include more than, by the way, drum roll please. Uh, Hold on, hold on. Oh. That's it, that's the only drum roll. That's it. It sounds like you dropped something. (laughs) That wasn't
0: a very good one.
2: Okay, Okay. Well, while you're looking for that, I'll I'll continue. Uh, The church's vast land holdings, which include more than 600,000 acres in Florida, which is about 2% of the Sunshine State's overall land mass. Mm. So the church owns 2% of Florida. It's, uh, I don't know what percentage of Washington it's going to own once the sale goes through, but, uh, it is amazing. It's amazing to me. And then the, um, another, <laughs> another, uh, company subsidiary of the church bought this 200 room residence in by Marriott on Maui for nearly a hundred million dollars. And by the way, by the way, this isn't the first Marriott motel that the church has purchased. Um, another <laughs> another church affiliated property manager uh, also owns the lie courtyard by marriott near the faiths polynesian cultural center so they actually already have a motel and now they're buying a second one i can't help but notice that the motels seem to be marriott so i don't know if there's you know uh, any beneficial negotiations going on between the parties since marriott is a Mormon
0: you could consider his tithing paid in full my friend
2: absolutely yeah. especially if he's selling it for under the market value yeah but Maybe. I don't know that I'm just I'm just commenting that it's interesting that they're both Marriott yeah. hotels that are being purchased by the church in Hawaii
0: Who, which was originally started <clears throat> by brother Marriott oh yeah member of the LDS Church the uh, the Washington land there's a big deal about some really serious water rights that are part of that deal the church I don't know exactly the details but the church the, the big the big part of this cattle ranch is the the water rights that belong to that land that was a big deal and then on this residence end by Marriott um, I had a source reach out to me a couple of days ago and I was telling you this this morning this hotel has a bar and a liquor license the church right now is in the midst of trying to own that liquor license, but put the liquor license, like a couple of layers away from being discovered that it actually owns the liquor license, but it is a bar inside the hotel. They have a liquor license. It's quite, um, I don't want to say popular, but there's certainly people there in decent numbers on a regular basis, having a, a stiff cold Martini or whatever it is. I don't, I don't know how drinks work. I, I drink a little, but not enough to know what everything is. Uh, Martini the one with the olive on top, right?
2: Uh, Yes. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's actually inside i think but yeah i, the I
0: knew a guy right so uh, um this whole idea of the marriott in hawaii this this idea of the liquor license the church obviously wants to stay away from the appearance of evil and it really doesn't care about the song do what is right let the consequence follow um not to be confused with countenance which we'll get to later but consequence and uh the Church is obviously going to own that liquor license, but it doesn't really want its name on that paperwork. So it, it'll have a, a person or an entity, a layer or two away that, uh, that owns that and operates that. It is interesting, right? Here's this religion, and you and I went to church every week, and we just thought the brethren were concerned about saving souls. And the reality is, man, this thing is accumulating wealth like nobody else. Better than, you know, it's, it's, it's accumulating wealth faster than anybody. It owns more land in the U.S. besides the U.S. government. Um, it, it's the largest religious landholder, I think, with the exception of maybe the Catholic Church in terms of money or investments. But it's insane the amount of wealth that Mormonism has put together in a couple hundred years.
2: Yeah, absolutely it is. It's amazing. By the way, on that bar thing, uh, I think the same person had messaged me about yes. this intel. I don't know if it's true. I can't vouch for it. It sounds like something that the church might try and do, but the bottom line is this, like I text, like I message this person back is uh, I don't care whose name the church puts it in. If there's a bar in a hotel that's owned by the church, the church is responsible for that bar and what goes on in it because they have the power to not have a bar there.
0: Right. They could just not have a bar. You're right. And they, and they will and do and, uh, and hence they'll be serving booze. um, Hence don't worry about doing what is right and let the consequence follow.
2: Yeah, we'll see if pornography is still offered in the pay per, per view in the oh, individual and you know, rooms. Oh,
0: you know damn well it will be.
2: Well, I don't know that.
0: Well, come on. This I, is the Mormon you know church, much, Bill. Do you know how much money is in that stuff?
2: No. Uh, uh, I don't really. Well, A lot? Okay,
0: there's a lot. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, porn is a big deal in Utah. I don't know if you've noticed the statistics there.
2: But this is Hawaii.
0: Yeah, I know, but... Um, <laughs> My point is there's big money in porn and, and Utah is a very good example of people that are using that and nothing against that.
2: I tune in once in a while. Are you working up to taking off your clothes by the end of the show?
0: Uh, yeah. Let me th- maybe a jacket off now. Right. If you want. Okay. It's a little warm in here. I think I'm, I'm rambling a little too much. Um, so here's my thoughts. Okay. Yes, Ready?
2: Please. Okay. I think this is wonderful. I think this is incredible. The church is doing an incredible job of amassing wealth and uh, investments and they are doing a great job. You know, my dad used to tell a story about this guy walking down the street and he passes a a Baptist church and right next to the Baptist church is a Jewish synagogue. And he's walking by the Baptist church and there's a sign in the window and it says, Jesus saves. And he keeps walking, he looks at the synagogue, there's a sign in the synagogue window, it says, Moses invests. Yeah. You like me. You really like me. So that. anyway, that's the, that's the thing I get from this is because, um, you know, Jesus says, but Moses invests. And I'll tell you, the church is doing a great job of investing. Uh, I think that it's a great idea if your goal and your job is to invest for the future on behalf of, I don't know, like your um, uh, your your contributors, the people who actually give you the money to invest for them, um, and you're paying them a percentage back on their investment, I think that it becomes a big question, though, as to whether it's a good idea if you're supposed to be the only true and living church of Jesus Christ upon the face of the earth. And your goal should be taking care of the needy. I think that's where it becomes a big question. Um, I mean, they used to say they were saving for a rainy day. Remember when it got leaked the existence of the EPA account and over 100 billion dollars in it? They used yeah. to say they were saving for a rainy day, but that excuse kind of went up in smoke with the whole worldwide pandemic thing.
0: Yeah, things were a little rough there for a little while. The markets kind of crashed. People were out of work and having to stay home, and they didn't sell their stocks. Right? They they didn't put the money, you know, in 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 the bishops at the local levels' hands and tell
2: them to go help people. They're still waiting for a rainy day.
0: They are, and it will <laughs> be, it will take a rainy day the magnitude of of the lifetime of Noah. For, for that money to be used. You and I both know that the church has no grand plan to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to mourn with those that mourn or comfort those that stand in need of comfort. It's payday, buddy.
2: No. And this is one of the problems with money. Um, at least theoretically, I don't actually have this problem myself because I'm not buying up hotels or anything. But is that when you start pursuing money, then money and its accumulation can become its own pursuit. And that's why I think so many things in the New Testament uh, talk about this. Uh, If it's okay with you, I was just going to comment on a few, because actually some of these scriptures, when you put them in the context of what the church is doing with all this amassing and hoarding of wealth, and I say hoarding because that's what they're doing with it. They're hoarding it. They're not uh, giving it out to people who need it. They're just keeping it for keeping its sake, okay? And in fact, it's not just the the New Testament scriptures which come alive when placed against this backdrop. Another thing I thought of was back when I went to the temple uh, in 1979, November of 1979 in Provo at the MTC, my first time at the uh, temple. See if you remember this, when there's a little conversation going on between Elohim and Lucifer and Elohim says, I will place enmity between thee and the seed of the woman. Thou mayest have power to bruise his heel but he shall have power to crush thy head. And you remember what Lucifer says back? Then with that enmity, I will take the treasures of the earth and with gold and silver, I will buy up armies and navies, hopes and priests and reign with blood and horror on the earth. Yeah. <sighs> armies and navies. Yeah. Yes. And so it just seems like we got a bit of a role reversal going on here because now it seems like it's the LDS church that is taking the treasures of the earth. And with gold and silver, they're buying up everything on the block.
0: It Doesn't it seem like there's a lot of scriptures that are pointing to the unhealthiness of the last days? And it's the LDS church that's doing the very things that are pointed to. I think it's Matthew 24 that talks about um, the Pharisees shall sit in the, the big red seats at the front and uh, essentially, be up there to be seen by many, and it kind of reminds me a lot of General Conference.
2: I'm going to guess it's twenty three. Twenty three, but I could be wrong. No,
0: you're anyway, right.
2: But Matthew six twenty four, and I'll go through these really quick because you know I don't know why it should fall to me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the church leaders, but I guess somebody's got to do it. You got Matthew six twenty four. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one. And love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and marry it. <laughs> Mammon, right? Marriott. I just changed that actually. I love it. That was the RFM translation of it Matthew 6 24. You cannot serve God and mammon. And then there's this whole parable, which it also made me think of. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And I had never heard of it called that way. It doesn't come with the title in the New Testament, but it's Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 34. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Okay, but everybody will remember this parable. If you were paying attention in Sunday school class, if you want to open up your scriptures and follow along, you're welcome to. And he spake a parable unto them, saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. See, he's not thinking about helping out other people. It's the hoarding complex. And he said, this will I do. I will put I will pull down my barns and build greater, greater barns. And there, will, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, it actually says that, that's kind of a funny part. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And Jesus says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then it goes down to the last two verses, 33 and 34. I'm skipping the in-between stuff. Uh it says, sell that ye have, or another, sell what you have and give alms. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Do the leaders of the church claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ? Last time I checked, they were. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old a treasure in the heavens that faileth not where no thief approacheth neither moth corrupteth for where your treasure is bill there will your heart be also
0: pitter patter pitter patter
2: yeah where is the heart of a church that has that owns two percent of Florida yeah Uh, I don't know
0: (laughs) is it still two percent
2: I think so. If anything, it's only increased.
0: I was going to say, I thought it was 2.2 or 2.3 by now.
2: Can I bring up 1 Timothy 6? Please. <laughs> it's a pseudo Pauline epistle, but it's in the New Testament, so it so will this, have to this suffice. This
0: is epistle not actually written by Paul based on biblical criticism and scholarship, right. but it's attributed to Paul anyway.
2: Yes, exactly. And it's got some famous stuff in it, stuff that the LDS Church is apparently not taking into consideration in its financial dealings. Verse seven, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, which by the way is just clothing, right? It's a King James Version word for clothing. And having food and clothing, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Mm. For the love of money is what, Bill?
0: uh i I don't know what the love of money the root of all evil right boom baby
2: that was the pop quiz for today for the love of money money is is the root of all evil
0: what money is not the root of all evil they can accumulate all the wealth they want they don't love it they don't really care that they have it it's they don't really have a an attraction to the money that they've got it's it's just money they've just accumulated it because when jesus comes back it's going to be very useful
2: Right, because (laughs) I I think we're gonna have to pay Jesus off (laughs) for all the bad, I almost said something that I should have said, for all the bad stuff that we've been doing down here in the Mormon church, we're gonna have to pay him off big time. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, which while some Mormons apparently coveted after, they have erred from the faith, Bill, Uh uh-oh, they have erred from the faith and pierced Uh themselves through with many sorrows which is an interesting phrase, which we also find something like in the book of Jacob, in the book of Mormon, it's just occurring to me right now, piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Mm. But thou, O man of God, so he's talking to men of God, which are the leaders of the church, the apostles of the church of Jesus Christ, the letter saints, right? But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness.
0: We we asked the LDS church for a comment and and here's what we got. What?
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, anyway, sorry. That was yeah. that was me preaching.
0: I, I think it's good because you're right. There's a ton of scriptures that point to this idea that that we should be taking whatever we have and helping somebody, and not just saving it for a massive global flood type rainy day. Um, it, it's got to be insane the amount of money they've got, the kind of good they could do and rather than spend any of it they just keep accumulating every day it is millions of dollars more than they had the day before
2: well this is why dragons in the western tradition are considered to be so corrupt it's because all they do is amass wealth yeah. and burn villages and hamlets from time to time yeah. but uh, <laughs> but they just they just amass all this gold and silver and treasure and all they do is sit on it and guard it damn dragons yeah Yeah, sound familiar? Yeah, it
0: does. So let's, uh, with that, let's turn to the next thing, which is my good friend Brad Wilcox. Tell us about Brad. Well, I'd love to share a little bit about him. So first, let me put this up. Um, The very first uh, credible interview I did—I interviewed various people before Brad Wilcox, um, but at the time when I interviewed him, nobody would have known. Uh, who these people were. The The most well-known person at the time was Brian uh, Whitney, who was uh, ended up working or, or at least getting some of his um, education uh, by being in the church history department. And uh, that was probably the most prominent interview I'd had up to the point where I interviewed Brad Wilcox. And we did uh, a two-episode interview. It was about two hours long. We talked about his books, The Continuous Atonement and uh i forget what oh the continuous conversion was the other one and we talked about those two books the continuous conversion had just come out and i liked brad wilcox my wife went to a timeout for women walked up to brad and said hey my my husband bill real just interviewed you and he spent a few minutes talking to her and he signed a couple books and gave them to her free and uh, appreciated the interview that we had um and in that conversation like what i perceive brad to be was somebody who was pushing some of the rigidity of Mormonism and trying to create some more inclusive space, trying to kind of knock down some of this perfectionism that's in Mormonism and create a space where people would not beat themselves up while they were falling short and feel the ability and the encouragement to keep trying. And um, I was really surprised when this happened. And uh, so we'll play this here for the, for the crowd, but, can I ask you a question um, first, yeah, Bill?
2: By all means. So Brad Wilcox is over there on the right in the solo shot. Who's over here
0: in the left? Well, I, I'm going to assume I didn't. I didn't pay close enough attention to this fireside to know, but I think it's got to be a stake president of the stake, and I don't yeah. know if this is his kid or another young man in the Aaronic priesthood. Um, but this is a youth uh, event. This is an event meant for the young people of the church and. As you'll see by this question, it's a young person who's asking it. It's Brad's answer that really disturbs
2: me. And I think you're right about these people on the left. It was either that or some guy performing a ventriloquist act. <laughs> Which one? The kid The kid is doing the talking or, or is it the stake president? The stake president. At some point, he actually takes a drink of water while the kid talks.
0: Oh, there you go. That's it's still so, it's working the other Sorry, way. Sorry, I had to get my line in there. Go All ahead. I like it. All right. So we'll play this for the audience. Everybody's probably seen this at this point. Um, I was a little I was a little frustrated by this. And I ended up actually writing Brad Wilcox a, a personal email since I still had his contact information from back when I did the interview. But here uh, here it is. Have
1: some-
0: and the sound's a little bad in he places, but
1: for old on our first question is from Jacob Cotton from the Annick branch.
0: Have you
3: got any tips or any got advice any for people that are struggling with their testimony, especially in
0: times like these? So just a just a note because it was a little hard to hear it. Um, the kid is asking, "What, Brad? What do you what do you suggest? What are your thoughts on those of us who are essentially struggling with our testimony?" And so here is uh, Brad's answer.
1: Yeah, Jacob. I'm grateful that you gave that, that uh, question. What about those who are struggling with testimony at times like these? I think that's when we have to remember that we're not alone. Because of COVID, we feel alone. We feel isolated. But there are lots of people in this lifeboat called the Church of Jesus Christ. And the very fact that I am speaking to you from Utah right now shows that we are united. And this is a worldwide global network of support and friends. And there are people who can help you strengthen your testimony. Look at the people who believe. Look at the people who don't believe. And notice that you see a difference in their lives. You see a difference in their countenances. You see a difference in their attitudes. And so when I look around me, I say, am I a fool to believe? No, not when I see my life and the joy in my life compared to the drama in the lives of others who are, struggling in their testimonies so choose to believe choose to say you know what I am going to choose a faith faith isn't something you have or you don't have dang it I was in the wrong line when they passed faith out no faith is something that can develop and it can grow choose to believe and then turn to others who can help you on that belief journey. Turn to others. You are part of a network of friends that extends internationally. Turn to others via internet or in person and say, I need help. How did you gain and strengthen your testimony? How can you help me? Turn to the Book of Mormon. This becomes proof positive that we can hold in our hands. Gosh, we can't go back to 1820 and hide behind a tree and see if Joseph Smith really had a vision or not. We can't do that. But we can read the Book of Mormon. And if this book is legit, then Joseph was legit. And if this book is legit, then Jesus is legit. If this book is real, if this book is what it claims itself to be, then there is life after death and there is a resurrection because it was an angel who came to Joseph Smith, a resurrected angel who came and brought the plates to Joseph Smith. It's John the Baptist who came and restored the priesthood authority and he had a head on. John the Baptist was beheaded, but when he came to Joseph Smith, He had a head so that tells me that if this book is real if this book is secure if this book is sound and true then i've got proof i can hold in my hands that god is there that he loves us and that he knows us personally and that is something that can help me when i am struggling with my testimony so cling to the network of friends cling to the book of mormon and remember you are not alone
0: now i could have just played the the little bit that i think we'll spend the most time talking about but i wanted people to have his answer in context so that nobody accused us of putting it out of place um i was a little a little frustrated with the whole countenance thing i'm i'm no longer in the church and I've already had, you know, we had Quaku. I don't know if you saw that clip where Quaku says, Bill Real's not happy. I can tell. Um, no. You didn't see he this. He said that and about you? There was an interview that Quaku did on some other thing. And they were talking about your and I's conversation with him. And they played a little bit of our interview. And somebody asked about Bill Real. And um, somebody goes, That Bill Real guy, he, or sorry, Quaku goes, That Bill Real guy, I can tell he's not happy. Mm-hmm. You can just tell. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, RFM, you, you visited me. You, you came down to Southern Utah. You hung out with my friends. We had a little party, get together. Do I look like an unhappy guy? I I don't, I don't think so. Um,
2: you seem to be very, very happy and well-adjusted. But on the other hand, we all know that apostates lie.
0: Right. Apostates are liars. Um, I could line up, I could line up my, you know, hundred closest friends and you could say, Hey, is, how many times have you seen Bill real grumpy or in a bad mood? And I think they'd all say never. Um, I tend to just every day get up on the right side of the bed. It's this idea that you and I, when we leave the church, we become angry and sad. And as Brother Wilcox says, we've got more drama in our life. And here's what I think happens. People inside the church see folks like me spend my 15 minutes a day on Facebook putting a post or two out. And they see me attacking Mormonism and they perceive a tone In my giving the facts or my making a joke or my um, laying out an argument and that 15 minutes of whatever I do on Facebook, they perceive that's that guy's upset. He's angry. He's hurt. His life's amiss. And the reality is they have no clue what my life looks like. They have no clue what your life looks like. They have no clue what the people uh, watching this uh, program right now, what their lives are like. Uh, The folks who listen to the audio podcast as it goes out tomorrow, they've got no idea what those people's lives are like. And I did a survey in the Southern Utah ex-Mormon group uh, on Facebook. And in the survey, I asked them, I said, would you guys answer these questions? Are you happier now than when you were in the church? And I gave them the choice of as happy, less happy or happier. And it was like 98% of them reported being as happy or happier. Now, you and I were talking about this this morning, which is that, The results are probably skewed. People outside the church have a motivation to portray themselves as happier than when they were in because they don't want to be judged as having actually fallen off the path, right? But that also, the other side of the coin is also true in that when members are asked how happy they are, you can see all the peer pressure and motivation for them to pretend that their life is better than what it is because they are emissaries for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And by them putting on a smile in a white shirt, and a tie, they allow uh, their neighbors to see them as happy. They go into the church building and all the other ward members get to perceive them as happy. Meanwhile, we're all inside our own heads going like, man, my my marriage sucked this week and my kids aren't listening and my job's not going well, but I've got my white shirt and tie on and I'm smiling. So nobody knows. And we don't ever talk about that kind of stuff in church. Nobody gives their real life we're all kind of pretending in that, in that space. And so I think the answers may be skewed on both sides. And I think Mormons tend to see things like tattoos or a cup of coffee or bad language as the kinds of indicators of whether someone is really happy or not or whether they're broken, lost, fallen, the chafe or the tears among the wheat and all the other labels that we have in Mormonism. And I think if I can just be blunt, I think this bullshit has to stop. I think when people leave, I think many of them, if not most of them, are as happy and hap or happier. And I think life is life. Life gives us up and downs. People in the church and out of the church get cancer. People in the church or out of the church lose a parent or a child. Life happens. But I guess I want to get, you know, turn it over to you and let you share your thoughts. It just feels inappropriate to tell someone else's story. And to tell anyone that those other people over there who don't live life the way you do, that you can trust me, they're
2: miserable. Right. Well, I think this all goes back to this uh, essential doctrine, might be too strong a word for it, but it's a pervasive teaching in the LDS church, that if you follow the tenets of Mormonism, you will be happy. And in fact, you will know true joy, not this fake happiness that other people outside the church has. Uh, as we used to say in Japan, that fake happiness is Ichiji, te- excuse me, Ichiji tech. Let me try again. Ichij na mitasana na what's it. I had this down before. Ichiji manzoku maunzoku shka mitasanai mono des. Thank you. Thank you. That's what be. it was. And A moment- momentary pleasure that has no lasting value. Okay. Yeah. For my Japanese listeners out there, I apologize. Um, But that's the deal. And I remember being back in the 70s and listening to Paul H. Dunn give a talk in general conference where he said, we as Mormons, if we're living our religion, we have no reason to be unhappy. In fact, we should bounce through life was his expression. And therefore, we understand that if we are happy, it's an outward sign of our righteousness. We are being faithful because we're happy and we're happy because we're being faithful. Therefore, we can fool everybody just by being happy as well as trying to get non-members to join the church. We're also demonstrating to our member friends that we are actually being faithful Mormons because we're happy. And that's why we put on this face, we have this competition to be happy like you talked about. And I think what uh, Elder uh, Brad Wilcox is talking about here is the idea that this happiness, this glow, this countenance is the outward manifestation of the inward righteousness of the person who has that countenance. And then you get into this. um, I mean, it's always a competition at church, right? Nobody really wants to let down the shield, take off the mask and be real with each other. You always have to be happy. And now this competition at church is now uh, forming teams in the church team and the post-Mormon team. And now it's a competition as to who can be the happiest. And I hope that that doesn't, uh, go on much further because it seems to me kind of a pointless exercise. It's kind of a continuation of what we were doing in church after church. And you got Mormons saying, no, we're happier than you post Mormons and post Mormons saying, no, you're not. I'm happier than you. And to me, it seems all kind of pointless because I think we all have happy times and not so happy times. And I will guarantee you that every Mormon who appears happy is not happy. And I can tell you that because frequently I was one of them. Yeah, and
0: and I think countenances can be deceiving. A good friend of ours, John DeLynn, uh, sent us a little TikTok earlier, right? Yes. And so let's put that up on the screen. And uh, John, thank you very much for sending that. Uh, let's play a little bit here. I think countenances can be deceiving. Let's see if I can somehow make this a little bigger. That's not going to work too well, but we'll make it work here. So, all right.
1: Look at the people who believe. Look at the people who don't believe and notice that you see a difference in their lives. You see a difference in their countenances. Have you
4: received it? He know you when he comes again, because
1: you will be like him. When he sees you, will the father know his child?
2: That is fantastic. What a great job. By the way, in playing that, I feel like we need just for legal reasons to put alleged child murders. In front of Chad Daybell and Lori Swallow. Okay,
0: let's just say that I don't. Again, the TikTok's the TikTok, but that's allegedly.
2: Yeah. So don't come after us for the lawsuit. Go to John DeLynn. Allegedly, right? (laughs) After John DeLynn. Can I tell you a funny story about countenances? Uh, By all means. Okay, because back in 1983. Yeah, I was five. yeah, I think it was 83. Oh. Anyway, anyway, because this was a big deal. I mean, it's not like Brad Wilcox is the first guy to talk about this. We always heard about this, you know. People walk on the street, and oh, they're I think that's a Mormon because he's got this countenance, you know, it just glows and it just sort of stands out. You could actually read a book by the their face, and um, but I'm at a an audition for a musical. It's a Zilker Summer musical down in Austin, Texas. It's the spring of 19, is it 83? Whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference, but um, I don't know a lot of people there. I know a few people there, but a lot of them are strangers. We're done with the audition. I'm kind of up on the stage and tallying off. I've got my, my, my t-shirt on my black jazz pants, my jazz shoes. Oh, you should have seen me then anyway. So I'm just minding my own business toweling off. And some guy I don't know comes walking up to me. So he's on the floor. I'm on the stage. So he's down a little bit for me, but he comes up to me. He doesn't say hi. He doesn't say, who are you? He doesn't introduce himself. He, he just says, are, are you a Mormon? And I went, "Oh my God, it's the countenance. It's the countenance. I'm glowing. This guy can tell. yeah, And I'm going to have a great story to tell at the next fast and testimony meeting. And so I said to him, I said, "Well, yes, I am. How did you know?" And he says to me, he says, "Because they're the only people I know who wear T-shirts under T-shirts." <laughs> Yeah.
0: So we give clues away. Right. I was telling you this morning about seeing a Mormon family at an amusement park in Ohio. And, you know, they had a lot of kids. There's there's one. They had a lot of kids. They uh, he had a a BYU shirt on and he had a T-shirt under his T-shirt. So um, and I'm like in my head, I'm like, oh, I can tell I can tell who the Mormons are. And the reality is like the clues were there. It was easy. Anybody yeah. could have figured it out. Michael Wallace could have figured it out after interviewing Hinkley a few times.
2: So it wasn't my countenance after all, I'm afraid to say.
0: No. Uh, it was, it's, it was the garments.
2: Well, thank you for fer- putting a fine point on that Logan.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was <too> easy.
2: <laughs> yes, that's what it was. Cause I was observant. I was TBM and I don't care if I'm going to get all sweaty at an audition. I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to wear what I'm supposed to be wearing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I can't figure, there are people that throw me off. There are people who have left the church and they're still huge fans of BYU. And Hmm. I, um, I don't know. I struggle with that. I think, I think when you leave, you have to just, you have to leave it all, right? Like (laughs) you have to let it all go. You have to figure out a new team to, to root for. So those guys throw me off when they're still wearing their BYU hat or their BYU
2: t shirt You probably like some team in Ohio.
0: Uh, yeah, well, yeah, O-H, I-O. Um, but I'm really more of a professional sports fan. Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Indians, and go Cleveland Cavaliers. Wow. LeBron James.
2: <laughs> so yeah. where where are we now? Because we can, we can segue or we can stop here. What do you want to do? Because well, I've got something else I could do if you want. Yeah,
0: let's give you some time to do a few things. But let me just finish up with one last, last thought here, which is yes. um, after he talks about countenances and ex-Mormons having way more drama – And by the way, there is when you're deconstructing and you're experiencing cognitive dissonance and you're in the middle of trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube, it is a crisis of faith and it's a life crisis. And it is a it is a really difficult time where people lose sleep. They have anxiety attacks. They uh, they are crying. They are experiencing depression and we ought to not assume that that means something connected to the very religion that they're deconstructing. That kind of experience happens to lots of people in all kinds of religions and in other facets of life when they realize their life isn't what they thought it was and they invested a lot into that identity. Um, but specifically with high demand fundamentalist religions, it would be very natural to experience that kind of difficult moment that may lay at last weeks or months and sometimes even years. And I don't think that's, we shouldn't be using that as evidence that the church is true. That so there's that point. And then the second point, he finishes off by che- saying we can choose to believe RFM. Do you believe in unicorns? No. Do you believe in leprechauns?
2: No, but if you give me a second, I think I can choose to,
0: I'm going to ask you, could you choose knowing Knowing how rational or irrational those arguments are, could you choose to believe in leprechauns? No. No. So once your brain tells you that something is absurd, you can no longer choose to believe in it, correct? Yes. Because your brain, you can only believe what your brain tells you you can believe.
2: Right. And I don't know why I'm hearing this trope more and more from church leaders. Are you noticing that too? Choose to believe, yeah. Which
0: is is which is kind of a self acknowledgment that there's probably pretty good reason not to believe, but you should instead choose to believe. For instance, um, the sun coming up tomorrow. Do you have to spend a lot of time choosing to believe that? No, no, because it's going to happen, and one day it won't, but it's not going to be tomorrow, and hence you 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 can very easily just take it for granted. But church belief you can't take for granted. You have to choose to believe, and many can't. And that makes you – that kind of begs the question of why Why do you have to even choose to believe something in the first place? It's because it doesn't, it doesn't add up or a lot of people feel the evidence is there not to
2: believe. I was thinking about that a little bit more uh, today, getting ready for the show. And it struck me that it's interesting that they will say choose to believe when it's really not a choice. And they must know it's not a choice. But they're saying it's a choice because then – If you don't believe, guess what, Bill? Yeah, it's your fault. It's your fault because you made the wrong choice. Yeah. And it struck me that this is kind of like what the church was doing with homosexuals. Not that many years ago. They're saying it's a choice and you need to choose to believe to, to believe you need to choose to be heterosexual. And if you don't choose to be heterosexual and you choose to be homosexual, then that's a sin that's on you.
0: Yeah. And as you well know, the message isn't to the person about to leave the church because they think belief is absurd in it. They're talking to the believers and they're creating some emotional distance between them and their comfortable beliefs and their family members and friends and other loved ones that they see stepping away from the church or having a crisis of faith and being in the middle of it and being able to kind of keep distance from it. Like, Oh, there's my, there's my cousin. He has doubts. He could choose to believe, but he doesn't. He's lazy. He doesn't have enough faith. He's not reading his scriptures enough. And hence I can get to stay comfortable over here while I continue to believe my comfortable beliefs.
2: Yes. There's nothing that's going to compel you to leave the church or to stop believing because it's a choice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And yet I tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And at the end of the day, at the very end, belief in Mormonism and its truth claims became absurd.
2: Yeah. It became something that, uh, was impossible for you to believe anymore.
0: Yeah. And impossible for countless others, uh, to believe anymore. Yeah. Yeah. In, in spite of, um,
5: Some have asserted that more members are leaving the church today and that there is more doubt and unbelief than in the past. This is simply not true. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never been stronger.
0: Never been stronger. All right, your turn, my friend. What do you got for us?
2: Well, you had mentioned that if there was time, you're going to talk about the possibly missing essay from the church website. Yeah, get us started, and I will pull it up or pull up where it
0: used to be okay would that, you do
2: that i will Well, we don't know what's going on because apparently there's an essay that's missing from the church website it's still available on this church app but not on the church website it's been gone for a number of days now bills of the opinion that they would have noticed this and corrected it within 24 days if it were just hey, a hey glitch guess what
0: what, hey, what? is um, it back up hold on let's see it's back it it is back look holy at holy crap I think the church got maybe noticed that we were going to talk about it. I don't know.
2: Well, I don't, and we don't even know if it's the same as it was before.
0: Yeah. So all of you out there, if if a few of you want to start reading it and let us know if you think it is the same one that was there before, I'm, I'm curious. It was down for about a week.
2: Well, it struck me as strange that they would take this one down because I remember reading it when it first went up back in 2014. In fact, I wrote a little article about this very essay. Because it seemed to take a very namby-pamby, wishy-washy, whitewashy approach to this whole subject because, uh, of course, Mormons believe that we can become like God. In fact, that's our ultimate potential. If we do everything we're supposed to do here in this life, we'll be resurrected. We will become gods ourselves and have planets and populate them with our offspring. And you know the story. But in their essay, Becoming Like God, they don't want to admit to that. They want to dance around it. They want to use all sorts of other words and say, you know, God wants to give us everything that he has and be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And, and uh, you know, but they never actually answer the question that we will become like God. And the thing that I wrote about was something different than that, but it's also in the same article because in this article, they also talk about the idea that Mormons will get their own planets, which is part and parcel of becoming gods, right? I mean, what's a God without a planet they deny that.
0: What's, what's a god without a planet?
2: It's like a day without sunshine. Yeah. So, they deny that in here. And that's what really struck me when I first read this in 2014 and that's what I wrote this article about. And is it okay if I perform this for you? By all means. We'll have a great audio clip which we can do here too. So, it's called Lying for the Lord? Question mark. Here we go. Drum roll, please.
0: Hold on. Ready? It's a really it's a really uh, cheesy one. I'll There it is.
2: That's for a joke. That's a rim shot. No, that's not a drum roll. I'll I'll have to change it to a drum roll. Okay. The LDS church is currently engaged in a systematic and officially endorsed effort to misrepresent some of its teachings to the outside world. It's a pretty good opening paragraph. This is not a new phenomenon. As far back as the Nauvoo period, Joseph Smith publicly and repeatedly denied he was advocating polygamy while simultaneously marrying upwards of 30 women. But attempting a similar feat in the age of the internet is a dicey proposition. The next section is titled Mormons don't get their own planet. I am referring to a recently released essay on the LDS church's official website titled Becoming Like God. While the essay should be commended for affirming that divine parentage includes a heavenly mother, such an admission cannot make up for the technicolor prevarication in a different paragraph where it is claimed that, quote, few Latter-day Saints would identify with caricatures of having their own planet. Unquote. As mm. an active member, well, I'm sorry, what?
0: No, I just I just I went, hmm, like that. Interesting.
2: Oh, okay, thank you. Go on. <laughs> as, a, as long as you don't play the cricket sound. As an active member of the LDS Church for over 35 years at the time of this writing in 2014. This is news to me. A caricature is a comic exaggeration. I am surprised to discover at this late date that the teaching I have personally heard and read on numerous occasions, that faithful Latter-day Saints will eventually have their own planet, is a comic exaggeration. It is not an exaggeration at all, comic or otherwise. It is a fact, plain and simple. The church first ventured into this field of revisionist theology about a year ago when it published answers to frequently asked questions. This is found on the official LDS website in the newsroom section, and this is still there, I understand, which the webpage banner proclaims is the official resource for news media, opinion leaders, and the public. One of the questions that is apparently frequently asked is, do Latter-day Saints believe that they will get their own planet? The answer given to this by the church is simple and straightforward if somewhat unexpected the answer is no mm. and then they go on this idea is not taught in latter-day saint scripture nor is it a doctrine of the church this misunderstanding stems from speculative comments unreflective of scriptural doctrine period end of quote just to make sure i wasn't losing my mind i ran a test case i ran a test case by asking my adult daughter this frequently asked question on the church website. I played it completely fair and asked her the same question in the same words. Do Latter-day Saints believe that they will get their own planet? Without hesitation, she answered, yes. So apparently there are at least two Latter-day Saints in the world who would answer that question differently. No, wait, there are more. Those would be the prophets, seers and revelators who have taught this doctrine for over a hundred years. Next section is called just the facts, ma'am. Brigham Young said that those who are exalted will be prepared to frame earths. Orson Pratt taught that the faithful who rise immortal will form and create worlds. Lorenzo Snow said glorified Latter-day Saints will organize matter into worlds on which their posterity may dwell. But that was a long time ago. Maybe that was just an anomaly. No, Wait, there are more. Joseph Fielding Smith wrote, we will become gods and have jurisdiction over worlds. And these worlds will be peopled by our own offspring. Bruce McConkie taught regarding exalted parents. For them, new earths are created. President Spencer W. Kimball, from 1975 Priesthood Session of General Conference. This is where we've got the video clip. Do you have that Bill? I do. Give me
0: just a second here, so I can put this up. This is the privilege of holding the priesthood.
2: Yes, October 1975. What's the timestamp? 1540 to 1630.
0: 1540. Which, by the way, whether the "Becoming Like God" essay uh, is in its back to its original state, uh, back on the website or not, it tries to be ambiguous about this idea of whether we become gods or whether we have a planet of our own. Um, but President Kimball here seems to be pretty
2: clear. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Through sufferings,
4: than 225,000 of you here tonight, I suppose 225,000 of you may become
0: gods. He, he kind of takes a, he used his language a, a certain way there to really be serious with everyone. You can become gods. Like, he is trying to let these guys know that's in their potential, right?
4: Yes. There seems to be plenty of, plenty of space out there in the universe, and the Lord has proved that he knows how to do it. I think he could make, or have us help make, probably, worlds for all of us. For
0: what does that mean? Worlds for all of us.
4: Well, we get our own planet. Huh? Every one of us, 225,000. Just think of the possibilities. There you the go.
2: Potential. And the potential. There you go. By the way, I have a couple of things to say about this. This is the church that I was baptized into. This is what yeah. made it exciting yeah. to be a Mormon back then when we didn't hide, run, were ashamed of, embarrassed by, and try and prevaricate about what it is that we actually believe. So anyway, uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for President Kimball. It's great to see him again. Now, I will also tell you one other thing I noticed, and then we'll get on with this performance, right, of my essay, which is uh, I was looking this up, and back in 75, You know, recently, we went from five sessions of general conference to four, and President Nelson got rid of the um, Saturday evening session. Gone. Uh, Boom. I was shocked to find out that in 1975, do you know how many sessions of general conference there were?
0: Um, I think I told you this morning, I was guessing like um, eight, seven, something like that.
2: Yeah. And you didn't guess eight because you got it wrong, and the right answer is eight. But that's okay. Uh, I knew that you knew the right answer because we talked about it. I was shocked. There were eight sessions of general conference in 1975.
0: Yeah, I guess seven. That's right, because there's two for Saturday, two for Sunday. There was the priesthood session. So um, we used to have essentially five, and I was guessing there would have been more. So I went with seven, and you said it was even more than that.
2: Right, because back then we had the regular complement of the two on Saturday, two on Sunday, and the priesthood session, which was always a priesthood session, by the way. No women allowed on Saturday night. and uh, But on Friday, there were two sessions, a morning and an afternoon session on Friday, which makes seven. And on top of that seven, there was also a separate session called the welfare session mm. of General Conference off of the good old days. So actually, President Nelson, what he's doing by lopping off the, the Saturday night session is just one more step in the process. Since 1975, from eight sessions to four now, we've cut it by 50%
0: yeah it's we're and you know church is down to two hours, and it's it's getting really easy to be a Mormon, isn't it? Temple doesn't have any more sexism in it.
2: Yes, uh, we're not going to be gods. We're not going to get our own planets. That's a lot of work that's out of the way.
0: People of color have had priesthood for a while. I mean it's it's getting crazy.
2: It is. Okay, so going back to my uh, thing. so we've got President Kimball on the record, where he talks about what he said about two hundred and twenty five thousand priesthood people, priesthood holders listening. They, you know, being gods, having planets, right? On another occasion, President Kimball counseled Latter-day Saints to grow in ability and power and worthiness. Why? To govern such a world with all of its people. President Kimball was the prophet, seer, and revelator of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when he spoke these words. But perhaps that doesn't make a difference any longer. Maybe 1975 and 1976 are too long ago for it to count. No, wait. There are more. This section is called when worlds collide. I thought that was clever. What about contemporary iterations of this doctrine? I mean, like right now, surprisingly, both these quotes from president Kimball are alive and well in current LDS church manuals accessible on the official website. I can only vouch for this as of uh, 2014 when I wrote this, they're probably still there. The former Kimball quote is about the t- 225,000. That quote is found in the current Doctrine and Covenants student manual, while the latter Kimball quote can be found in the Parents Guide for teaching children ages 4 to 11. It's also found in the Doctrine of the Gospel student manual, as well as the Doctrine and Covenants and Church History Seminary teacher resource manual. So it's all over the place. Even the manual used to teach investigators and new members contains this information. From Lesson 36 of the Gospel Fundamentals Manual, the preface to which avers, The principles explained in this book are true. We have the following. Those who dwell in the highest part of the celestial kingdom will even be able to have spirit children and make new worlds for them to live on. That's That's from the Gospel Fundamentals Manual. I'm sorry I interrupted you, Bill. No, no, no,
0: I'm interrupting you. That seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Like you get a planet and you get a planet, you get a planet, right? Like the idea is that everyone who gets exalted gets a planet. And you and your wife, you'll be there, probably a few other wives too. You're gonna to be popping out baby spirit babies like crazy, sending them down to another planet to get their own physical body. Jesus' atonement takes care of all of it because he sacrificed himself for all the planets that are out there. And hence, that's how the Mormon theology works.
2: I know it's like President Kimball was doing an early version of Oprah Winfrey. It
0: was. You get a planet and you get a planet. <laughs> everybody, everybody get the planet. He even said, like, there's 225,000 of you here. It's possible that all 225,000 of you get to be gods and have planets.
2: And we all know what he's saying. If you're faithful, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Right? What about those
0: of us whose countenance has changed?
2: Well, no planet for you.
0: No We planet. only
2: want planets full of happy people.
0: Oh,
1: uh, no, no.
2: Now, hold on there, Baba Louie. I continue in my essay. Are, mm-hmm. you say, are you saying the church is telling the outside world that Mormons won't get their own planet, but telling the inside world of Mormons that they will get their own planet? And, and that, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, you're go reading ahead. You asking. No, no, what? you go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I love it when you interject.
0: <laughs> no, go ahead. I, I thought you were asking, so I thought, it was, I thought I had to answer.
2: Oh, no, no. Well, these are questions that they are sort of rhetorical. <laughs> but if you want to answer, please do and and that the church ha- okay and that the church has both statements at the same time on its own official website like i said playing fast and loose with the truth in the internet age is a dicey proposition lesser minds would call it lying but is calling this pattern of deception lying too strong not if we use the definition advanced by the church in chapter 26 of its gospel fundamentals manual quote when we say things that are not true we are lying when we tell only part of the truth We are lying when we lead people to believe something that is not true. We are not being honest, period. End of quote. There's things about me. You wouldn't understand Dottie things. You couldn't understand things. You shouldn't understand why lie. It therefore seems beyond question that the church is intentionally lying about this issue. I do not believe for one second that the anonymous scholars responsible for the offending paragraph and the becoming like God essay are unaware of the true state of things, nor are those who also under official church sanction and approval published the dissembling answer to the frequently asked question of whether Latter-day Saints believe they will get their own planet. They know what's going on. They know the lay of the land. But this begs the question of why lie about this in the first place? The most obvious explanation is that the church is embarrassed by its belief. That the resurrected righteous will create and rule over planets in the eternities and therefore wishes to publicly deny it that the church is desirous of appearing more in the mainstream of contemporary christianity the next section is the law of unintended consequences i'm getting toward the end here hopefully this is entertaining i'm having a great time i don't know about you
0: but by the way jared our, our good fan, Jared, who's constantly coming from the believer perspective, said he was not aware that there was any place that uh, the church taught that we would get our own planet, which you just laid out in multiple places, the church taught that we would get our own planet. So now Jared has a different statement, which is, I think church leaders want to keep the focus on the Savior and not on the doctrine we know very little about. Well, as you're pointing out, You should at least do it honestly, right?
2: We know all about this. By the way, section 76 and section 132 state very clearly over and over, then shall they be God because all things are subject unto them. I mean, it's right there in our doctrine and covenants. This isn't stuff we don't know anything about. It's stuff that we're embarrassed to say to the outside world because we're afraid that they will make fun of us, I guess.
0: And if the God we know has a planet near a star named Kolob, then sure as hell, if we become gods, that's, we would need a planet too, right? Like,
2: yes, I'm going to come up with a cooler name than Kolob though.
0: Yeah. I'm going to call mine like Hershey. Hershey. Yeah. You know, like I'll make my stars out of chocolate or something.
2: Oh, that's a cool idea.
0: Yeah. It's kind of cool.
2: Isn't it? Yes. Um, okay. Really getting close to the end. The law of unintended consequences. Pay close attention, Jared. If the goal is to get the Gentile world to think Mormons don't really believe this, the gambit seems to have paid off as various news agencies widely reported the two twenty seven fourteen Associated Press story on this official church pronouncement. See, Associated Press ran a story the other agencies picked up on it, right? This is what they said, quote, The Mormon church is pushing back against the notion that members of the faith are taught they'll get their own planet in the afterlife. A misconception popularized in pop culture. That was their quote. This is what the news agencies around the world are saying about the Mormon church because they published that essay in 2014, that it's really a misconception popularized in pop culture. So, now the world thinks that Mormons getting their own planet is merely a notion and a misconception. Is this something to be cheered? Milk before meat is one thing, but actively denying belief in the meat is another thing entirely. Wouldn't you agree, Jared? Are we selling our birthright for a mess of pottage? Has the church learned nothing from the Paul H. Dunn debacle? Do Mormons not teach that one of the primary causes of the great apostasy was the church's willing compromise of revealed doctrine to conform to the philosophies of men? And then I talk about, very briefly, the impact of this on non-Mormons and on Mormons. So first off, the impact on non-Mormons. What happens when non-Mormons who read the AP story discover the truth that Mormons actually do believe that they will get their own planets. Will they not then conclude that the church lies about its beliefs? Will this lead them to think more highly of the LDS church? Will this lead them to have confidence in other church assertions? Or will suspicion and distrust be bred? Impact on Mormons. What happens when Mormons read these new pronouncements? If they are not well-versed in the historical record, Will they likely take them at face value and conclude that Latter day Saints really do not believe they will have their own planet? Do we not face the possibility of balkanizing belief among Latter day Saints by creating one faction that believes the new pronouncements are correct, while leaving another faction who believe the contradictory prophetic pronouncements of over a century? And when these factions collide theologically, as collide they must, what will be the result? Unity or disunity? And when the true facts are revealed through such collisions, will the result be greater faith in the church or less? Mm. My my last last concluding paragraph. The perils of situational ethics. This disparity between what the church tells the outer world of non-members versus what it tells the inner world of the faithful may have more alarming consequences. Not only does the church create an outer inner or outside inside theology, it also creates an outer inner morality. By telling the outside world, Mormons do not believe they will have their own planets. They are leading people to believe something that is not true. But the church teaches, when we lead people to believe something that is not true, we are not being honest. Remember back to the gospel principles. Manual. The church is thereby teaching its members that being dishonest is justifiable under some circumstances, that lying for the Lord is moral. And the church is teaching this by its own example. But if lying may be rationalized in this matter, what other immoral acts may also be justified, so long as it is in service to the church? and in obedience to priesthood leaders. A group of 120 immigrants learned the answer to this question on September 11th, 1857 at a place called Mountain Meadows. If nothing else, the massacre that occurred there should be a constant reminder to Mormons of the very real perils of promoting such situational ethics. And that is the rest of the story. <laughs> and now
0: you know the rest of the story. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man of a million voices. Look at that. Um, as you point out in that write-up that you just read, very clearly and succinctly, the church is constantly moving the goalpost with its own members, with people outside the church, and it really doesn't want to own all of its history. It's always trying to deflect and obfuscate, distance itself away from the criticisms that are legitimate based in its own historical record. And here we are again where the church goes, man, you know, the planet thing, nah, you know, it, it. people try to, you know, make a caricature out of it and and we're really not going to say anything about it. And do we become gods? Well, mm, you know, but Throughout Mormonism, this has been, as you pointed out, this was the Mormonism I grew up with too. Um, when I joined the church at 17 years old, this was the theology that was given to me. That and, and it was part of what I got excited about, was that if I busted my rear end here, I got to have an entire planet someday. Have spirit sex with lots of you know women, right? I got multiple wives, because that's going to come back when people are righteous again. Um, there's all this room in Mormon theology for those of us who have this um, understanding of what's going on there to, to have a planet someday, to, to uh, essentially populate a world and to send our children down and let them get bodies and to watch the plan of salvation take place for them too. We got all excited RFM and now they're taking it away.
2: I know it's really, it's um, it's almost a colorless version of the Mormonism that I joined. And, you know, Mormonism 40 years ago had its own problems. Okay. But there were scriptorians that walked the earth and people who proclaimed what Mormonism believed without qualifications or hymning and hawing. And there is a strength to that and a power to that, uh, regardless of what the belief is and regardless of whether somebody disagrees with that belief, there's a power to proclaiming your beliefs boldly, nobly independent that people respect and what people don't respect is if you are so embarrassed by your beliefs that you don't even want to own it publicly.
0: Yeah. Jared's to the point now where he says, I have been on five missions for the church. I have never heard missionaries teaching this concept to contacts RFM. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. That, uh, that missionaries don't teach to investigators that is deeply ingrained in Mormonism and things that we have taught in the past that people should very well know before they jump into the waters of baptism. I don't think what the missionaries teach is a very good gauge for what's in Mormonism.
2: I was baptized on June 22nd, 1978. I took the missionary discussions in about 10 days. And what happened that very month, right before I started taking the lessons was that a revelation was received by President Spencer W. Kimball that blacks could finally have the priesthood. Guess what the missionaries didn't teach me about either?
0: You had no clue that people of color could not have the priesthood and go to the temple? None. None, because the missionaries didn't teach you that. Why do you think they didn't teach you that?
2: Well, A, because it wasn't in the memorized discussions, which they are told to teach. And second, because uh, that's on a need to know basis and apparently investigators don't need to know.
0: That reminds me of President Packer, right? What What's true is not always useful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I think that Jared, bless his soul, uh, regardless of how many missions he's been on and regardless of the fact that this has never been in the missionary discussions, it does seem to be kind of indisputable what President Kimball was saying in the clip we played from the October 1975 general priesthood session.
0: Yeah. Page here says, I paid so little attention to Mormonism and even I knew that we got a planet.
2: <laughs> no kidding. Jeez. <laughs> And Jared, no, look, I I like Jared. I don't know him personally, but I appreciate him and I appreciate his making comments here. But this is exactly the kind of thing that happens, which is when uh, this belief is questioned or a faithful member of the church uh, is asked about this, then they start hedging and they start hemming and hawing and giving excuses about things without ever just coming out and saying, yes, because that's the answer. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Do, do we become gods? Yes. Do we yes. Get yes. Now, if you'd be kind enough, let me explain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: not really that hard, right? It could be like Mr. T. I pity the poor fool that doesn't get his planet. Like,
0: let's be honest. They get to write the material. If they want to say yes and now let us explain.
2: Yes. There's plenty of room to do it, don't they? They never, get a, they never even get down to a yes after they're done explaining.
0: Yeah. Here's the becoming like God. Here's the becoming like God essay. Let's see if I can.
2: How do Latter-day Saints envision exaltation? Well, we know how they envision it. They become gods and goddesses and they get busy and have spirit children and then they populate the worlds they just created.
0: You don't want the world um, misrepresenting what you believe, but you're in charge of the narrative right here. You get to say yes and
2: say as much as you want about it. Yes. It's their website. (laughs) They can put things up and take them down when they want. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What's the conclusion? The conclusion is where it should say yes. What does yeah. the conclusion say, Bill? Yeah. It, I,
0: it reminds me of the Book of Abraham essay when they give multiple answers. And I asked a science teacher who was a believer in the church. I said, you read the essay in the Book of Abraham. I said, how many answers do they give? He goes, I think they give four solutions to the problem. I said, what does that say to you? He goes, when you give four solutions to a problem, it means you don't have a solution. That's right. He doesn't want to answer the question. That's the point.
2: Right. The conclusion is all human beings are children of loving heavenly parents. <laughs> and possess seeds of divinity within them. In his infinite love, God invites his children to cultivate their eternal potential by the grace of God through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: What is that but, eternal po- uh, potential, uh, LDS Church?
2: It's becoming gods. Come on. Why, why don't you just say it? The doctrine of humans' eternal potential to become like their heavenly father is central what, to the gospel of father? Jesus. What? What is heavenly father? What is it? He, he's, he's a god, isn't he?
0: Yeah. We can become like him. Okay. All right. Got yes.
2: essential central to the gospel. Of Jesus Christ and inspires love, hope, and gratitude in the hearts of faithful Latter-day Saints. Geez, That's a lot of words. Why don't they just say yes? It would.
0: I feel like it wouldn't be that hard to both tell the truth about the past to begin to make really healthy changes in own where those changes are coming from. Stop pretending that you're getting up in the middle of the night and your wife has to leave the room and you got to make notes and just own that. Like, Hey, you know, we, we're, we're just trying to be better and little by little. And we made a lot of mistakes in the past and we really don't want to talk about being a God or having a planet anymore, even though that is, that was taught in the past. You could, you could say that.
2: Yeah. And becoming God is not taught in the missionary discussions either. There are certain things that are intentionally not taught to investigators so that they'll join the freaking church. Right. Yeah. Because somebody somewhere made a decision that if we spill the beans too early, People might not get baptized as readily as they will be otherwise. And then there's time after they're baptized for them to pick up on this stuff and learn it later on. This is part of the problem with informed consent that John DeLynn has been talking about so much regarding people joining the church and not really knowing what they're getting into. It's by design. It's to get them to join so that then they've made a commitment. And then later on when they find out about it, it's weird, but you know, I'm in, I mean, I did that. I'm sure you did that too. Did you already know that, uh, Because I think you read some anti-Mormon literature before you joined the church. Is that right?
0: I I read uh, Fon Brody's No Man Knows My History, and I read whatever I could find on the internet. And a lot of what I read that was critical um, was done uh, by reading like the New Jerusalem site, which was Book of Mormon Answer Man, and he would ask – he would answer the questions that were being asked of him. And those questions often involved what the critics were saying. And so then I would see his answer and then I would know that that question was out there.
2: Mm, okay. Yeah.
0: Anyway, there's, there's all of that. So with that, are you ready to take a couple phone calls? Yes. I think it'd be wonderful. Cool. Let's uh, do it. I will, uh, let me move. So a call did start to come in, but I didn't get to it in time. So sorry, caller, feel bad about that. We just have one phone line. It's a Google Voice phone number. I, I gotta tell you a funny story by the way. before the next okay, next phone call just came in. I'm gonna call from Trans. Give, give us just give us just a moment, caller, um, and we'll get to here in just a second. I had a lady call me on Friday um, on my phone because it's Google Voice, so when nobody picks up there, it forwards the call to my phone. Then I pick up the phone and I answer. And it's like an 85 year old woman. And she says, is, is this
4: the radio program?
0: And it's Friday, right? I'm in the middle of my work day and she's watching the video on YouTube and she thinks it's wrong. <laughs> so she picks up the phone and she calls in to talk to RFM and Bill Reel. And what she wants to know, she wants to know if the hand warmer, oh Leah Hone, if the hand warmer was invented before or after the global flood, So I'm in the middle of work. I've got my son working with me, my boss, Chris, who's my friend, working with me, his wife, Dawn, here, who's also one of the owners. And we're sitting here having a conversation. And this lady calls, and I'm talking to her, and they all look at me like, oh, my goodness, I can tell what kind of call you got. Um, I ended up spending about five minutes talking on the phone where I tried to share with her that I don't believe in a global flood, so I really can't answer your question, and that a global flood comes with tons of problems. And on top of that, the live show aired on wednesday night at 6 20 p.m and here we are friday and lady you're calling me at like 11 22 in the morning and i'm not really doing this right now right (laughs) (laughs) the live show wasn't live because look up in our top corner up in the up in the top there it says live um and so she thought it was a live show when she was listening i felt really bad for i asked for her email address and ended up sending her um reasons for why I don't believe in a global flood. I hope I didn't disrupt her too bad, but she wanted, she wanted to know why I didn't believe that, so I did share it with her. Caller, uh, you're on the air with Mormonism Live with Bill Reel and Radio Free Mormon. State your name and tell us what you've got. This is Roger. Roger, how are you, my friend? I am doing great. How are you? Good, good. I just have to say, I know Roger. Roger has dropped me off cookies once in a while and says hi to me and comes in <laughs> to see me and I really appreciate uh, your visits, my friend. What's on your mind tonight?
4: Well, I'd like to comment first about the first part of your podcast. And and that uh, a little bit changed since the Becoming Gods. But uh, you were talking about money. And the church of my youth is not the church of today. The doctrine of my youth is not the doctrine of today. It's constantly changing. And and. Now, you've talked about two things today about that. One about God's, and the first one was about uh, tithing. And, um, you know, in uh, Mormon uh, 832, it says, Yea, it shall come in a day when there shall be churches built up that shall say, Come unto me, and for your money you shall be forgiven of your sins. And I thought, oh, goodness, I wonder which church that's talking about. Uh, since we can't get into the celestial kingdom without going to the temple, and then we can't go to the temple unless we pay our tithing. But yet, you know, Joseph F. Smith said that in uh, that he was looking forward to the day when tithing would be done away with. And, and so if we believe him to be a prophet, seer and Le- revelator, there should be a day when tithing will end. But yet, currently, it seems that they are saying that tithing is required in order to be forgiven of your sins because it's by that paying of your tithing that you're showing your faith and you can only get a faith unless you pay your tithing. So if we stop the tithing, you can't get your faith, so you can't go to heaven. And they proved that by when they went to Africa, they told the people in Africa that, that the reason that they were so poor is it because they haven't been paying their tithing. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's just, it's beyond comprehension that this church that once taught that, that the doctrine of devils would be by your, uh, paying your money, you'll be saved. And now the same church is preaching that, no, that's never going away. We've got to keep this money coming in for the tithing to keep up our, our funds. So, or else you won't be able to go to heaven. And, and, and anyway, we don't know what we're going to do with this money.
0: Hey, Roger, I've so got Anyway, a, hey, I've got a question for you. There's a lot of listeners. You get into the program a lot and there's a lot of listeners wondering what your secret is. I'm, I'm guessing you win a lot of prizes on like radio shows too. Could you, could you share with the callers your secret or do you not want to pass that out? Some people are guessing you've had the second anointing. Um, we're not really sure what the, what the secret is, but yeah, it, What is your secret?
4: It's the RFM anointing. Yeah. I got the RFM anointing. It's
0: the radio free Mormon (laughs) anointing. There it is. That's right.
4: That's (laughs) why I get it.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know what your secret is, Roger, but I like it that you call in my friend. All right. Uh just, just my thoughts. Thank you. I love it. Have a great day, my friend. Thanks.
2: Bye. Okay. It's it's always great to hear from Roger. I think the place where president Nelson really got out of line when he was uh, addressing the African saints was when he told them that they paid tithing they would become white and delightsome
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it we, all right well, yo, well i'm laughing let me get the next call here awesome. caller you are on the air with radio free mormon and bill real on mormonism live um w- state your name and tell us what uh, what you'd like to say tonight
5: uh yeah my name's ll ll and, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you figure out uh, what that uh, what that means and his last
2: name is bean president nelson <laughs>
0: Okay, go ahead, my friend.
5: Okay, so um, I can't believe I got through, first of all. Uh, I haven't had my second annoying, annoying like Roger has, so I'm thrilled. But my question is this. Well, actually not a question, but it's, it's kind of a, coming back to the earlier discussion about the whole uh, economics of the church. I do have a theory, and I want you to look into this film, and the theory is this. After... The church got caught, air quotes here, uh, with the hundred billion dollars flush fund they had. What do you think all of a sudden they started doing uh, with that money that made the church members feel better about that money?
0: Are you're at, so let me make sure before I hang up with you. You're asking what could they do with that money that would make us all feel better about it, them having it?
5: No, no, no. no. What did they start doing? All of a sudden you had these announcements of. Uh, I'll just tell you, of these temples being built everywhere, I mean, next door to each other. So it would be interesting to see if, uh, if, Bill, this is for you, to see what how many temples have been made or built since they announced that.
0: Yeah, I know in recent years, they've announced way more than they've even broke ground for. Um, some of these temples have been announced in places that won't even be built uh, if I remember right, they got in some trouble announcing a temple in China when China hadn't chi- China hadn't uh, given the okay on them building it and uh, and so they had to kind of back off uh, from that and we will see if it actually happens. If it does, I'm going to guess that uh, some money changes hands to make sure that that is, is allowed to happen. Um, but the church has not built many of these temples that they've spoken of.
5: Correct. But uh, since that $100 billion, and i see some uh, contrary comments there, but since they announced or they uh, uh, were caught with that $100 billion, I'm seeing a lot more temples being built in just the most odd places where you wouldn't think they would need a temple. So my theory is, hey, now look, it, we're using this $100 billion to build temples. Um, and that's right up front. They tell everybody that. On the back side, oh, yeah, we also uh, bought this $100 million dollar uh, hotel in Hawaii, but you know you have to go three steps back to try try to find out uh, where you know or how we acquired that.
0: Yeah, yeah. But as you and I both know, the money is growing exponentially faster than the amount of money being spent on temples.
5: Absolutely. That that was only my one comment there, um, but I I'm
2: so excited I got through. Thank you. I, so much. Guys. Thank
0: you so much, LL. Have a great day.
2: LL L. Bean, thank you for that phone call. You know, I was surprised last general conference to hear President Nelson announce a temple to be built in my backyard, Bill. Yeah,
0: you'll you you could go back to church and and get to the temple and get an endowment session done multiple times a week if you wanted.
2: They're everywhere, but I'll tell you the one place in the United States that they need to build a temple that they haven't announced yet is Derry, Maine.
0: So Dairy Maine is there's no temple is that is that like a town of 36 people?
2: They need a temple there cuz there's a lot of bad <laughs> stuff going down in Dairy especially in the is sewers. Yeah. It, it,
0: it, it is. Give me one second caller. We'll, we'll introduce you in just a moment. We um, all float
2: down here, Bill. Thank
0: you. Yeah, no problem. Um yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of places in the world where there is no temple and I'm curious if the church is and I've said this before, if they are losing members at the rate I think they are And I think while they're trying to say growth has plateaued, I think it's actually in the negative. It's only a matter of time because you're already seeing for, you know, tons of LDS chapels being for sale. I mean, as I watch ex-Mormon Reddit over the course of a year, I'm seeing plenty of them. Um, It's only a matter of time before we either have to, just have empty temples or we have to put for sale signs out front.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, they can do it without advertising it. They'll just sell it to Marriott to make hotels out yeah, of
0: it. Yeah, it's just a trade-off. He gets a temple, <laughs> they get a hotel, everybody wins. <laughs> everybody wins. Um, Ryan, you are our third and final caller for the show tonight. Um, go ahead and let us know what uh, what's on your mind. You are on Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon.
3: Awesome. Uh, my main thing is I I don't. This is obscure history, but I want to call attention to it because I think it's so fascinating, and I don't think anyone really knows about it or cares about it, I guess. But it's mainly Sidney Rigdon's version of Mormonism. The reason I think it's so fascinating is because if you go read a little bit of it, the, the, at least the Wikipedia entries that I've read, is that they were not racist. They were anti polygamy, and then I. <laughs> When you click on their website, I think it's hilarious because uh, Russell M. Nelson wasn't able to register the full domain. Like they had the full the church of Jesus org before Russell M. Nelson could switch it out from under Gordon B. Hinckley's feet and go from Mormon.org to you know the full domain. So I just think it's super interesting. And the um and I will uh, the whole other branches, the Emma branch. They were anti polygamy. And the Strangites are super weird because they have the plates of Bory. And then the Brighamites had polygamy and then monogamy. And they practice polygamy secretly. But the Rigdonites slash Bickertonites I just think are super cool and interesting because they were not racist. They didn't like they flip flopped like on some of the original history, but um, the fact that they weren't racist, they were anti-polygamy, and they have the real domain name, I just think it's hilarious.
0: But awesome. I'll leave
3: my comments and take them off the air. Thank you.
0: Okay. <laughs> the uh, the ites that broke off before, uh, before Brigham Young and essentially avoided him seem to have a lot healthier theology, don't they? Funny that. It is funny. It hey, is Bill. Bill, can I ask you a question? you can ask me anything
2: i we're in episode 31 and i have noticed that our callers are overwhelmingly guys yeah. are there no women calling into the show yeah, I talked to a, somebody that's a, a woman who said she was going to call in tonight i know it's tough getting to the the trough you know with only one phone fo- phone line open are there are there no women out there who want to call
0: yeah i i was looking at the data i think last night or this morning Uh, The viewers to this show are about 70% male. I expected a certain kind of age group, but um, by the age of about 30 to 65, it's pretty balanced. Like all of our listeners equally fall into those age groups, 30 to 35, 35 to 40, 40 to 45. I I didn't expect the older crowd to be uh, listening in the same strength of numbers, and they are. So mostly male uh, RFM. It's mostly men who tune in to us. Although I really would love to have women call in as well and to have more women viewers.
2: Can we do an experiment right now? Sure. I'll need audience participation. So please pay attention. With all the men, please put your phones down. And if you're calling in, could you like hang up? Yeah, don't do it. And could any women, just the women who want to call in, and I know there's at least one of you out there. And I'm looking yeah, at you. Called,
0: she called me on Tuesday or whatever. She called me on Friday. Oh,
2: right. right. <laughs> <laughs> don't call Bill on Friday, well, Betty. If call you now. To- I want okay. a woman caller on the show right now, and I I can't do it without your help.
0: Yeah. So okay, I've got Google Voice pulled up. And okay. And Bill,
2: while we're waiting, can, we forgot to do the fist thing. We got to do the fist thing.
0: Yeah. So we've got four three five two hundred fist. Also fist. three four seven eight. And so if Betty or Trudy wants to call, the show is live right now, Wednesday night, 6.20 p.m. Uh, Let's see what happens here.
2: Okay. If we all are reverent, perhaps, and fold our arms, (laughs) and are very reverent, then perhaps...
0: And you don't need to say yes or anything. You can just
2: bow your head. One of the sisters will come up to the podium to bear her testimony. Uh Uh-oh. I got a call,
0: RFM. Here we go. Okay.
3: Call from...
0: All right, caller, I am, I'm, we're hoping that, uh, can I, let me ask, what's the name? Wendy. Wendy, you are on the program, Mormonism Live with Bill Reel and RFM. What is on your mind tonight, Wendy? Is, is this Wendy Nelson? Yes, it is. Oh my good. Wendy Nelson, please tell us. I want to know, I want to know about your book, the the, the not even once club. Would you tell us, tell us the magic behind that idea?
4: magic
0: behind what idea oh i i thought you were wendy nelson the wife of president nelson oh. <laughs> so i no, was that's just a coincidence okay gotcha wendy Thank i'm you. sorry that i was a little bit of uh, a swami there um i was a predictor of, of future events wendy go ahead and tell us what's on your mind tonight well i
4: just called in because my
0: co- husband told me to gotcha <laughs> that's it <laughs> it does work are, are you enjoying the program
4: I love the program. We actually decided recently, like a few weeks ago, to start watching you live. And we're having a really good time listening. We love it.
0: I love it too. That was <laughs> going to be funny if you were going to play along and, and tell us the, you know, make up some ideas behind the Not Even Once Club.
4: Well, I'm sorry to just disappoint, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay.
0: I, I don't think I would have enjoyed that conversation anyway if it was the real Wendy Nelson.
4: Yeah, it would have
0: been really weird, right? Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in, and and thank you for showing us that we do have some female presence out there.
4: All right. Well, yep, we are following you. We love you guys, so keep it up. Cool.
0: Have a great (laughs) day, Wendy. You too.
4: Bye-bye.
2: Yeah, I think think the Not Even Once Club is a book that Wendy Nelson wrote describing her sex life before (laughs) she got married to President Nelson, and also coincidentally after she got married to President Nelson.
0: Yeah. I'm going to leave I'm going to leave the the I'm going to leave I'm going to leave other people out of it that may be connected to that relationship as well. There may be a third party you you probably can guess that but I don't know anything more about that. So
2: Oh, I'll, Kim I'll, Hunter?
0: Huh? Kim Hunter? No, 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 and I don't know who that is, but I'm I'm thinking, you know, She's, like She was in Planet of the Apes. I'm thinking like the Dew and
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm going All right. <laughs> all right. What's that? Got you. So you got me uh thank you so mormonism live i hope you guys had fun tonight folks there are still three there's 369 people watching you're gonna see right to the right of the screen just to the right no the other way other way rfm yep just over there where rfm and i are pointing there's a donation button next to the chat would you send us 10 bucks send us 20 bucks um, just to say thank you for the time that we put into this, we appreciate each and every one of you, and glad that you tune in, including our female presence out there in listeners, and um, including Jared and Jared and by the way, Jared likes to do his thing here in this in the comments, but Jared hasn't reached out to me on Facebook he hasn't sent me an email he doesn't want to be on the program. I yeah. think Jared knows what would happen if he came on with you and me. He would um, be plucked he would and yeah. Yeah, and slaughtered probably. Yes. It would it would not be pretty Jared, but if you want to do it, I'm on Facebook, you can reach out and I will put you on the show with me and RFM. We'll go an hour strong, we'll pick a topic or two and uh, we'll just see if you can help us make sense of things. I'm guessing you won't and I'm guessing you won't take us up on it. Um RFM, any closing comments from you before we go home?
2: No, that is it. I had a great time and a uh, wonderful callers. Uh this is episode 31. We're more than half a year into this bill and i think we're just getting started
0: i think we are and uh i I think this is a way for us to entertain folks and talk about the depth and messiness of mormonism for years to come uh folks keep turning in we appreciate you and uh and there is our biggest fan we probably ought to give him just a brief moment mormonism live better than touching your own little factory